You know, uh, please take your Bibles and turn to Ephesians 6. We are going to continue to go through a couple of the series. Uh, the midweek series will be on for a little bit. We'll, we'll, we'll juxtapose from uh, the Lord's Prayer back to a couple of other things. On Sunday, we'll deal with some of the topical issues we've been on, along with the book of Revelation. And we'll squeeze uh, Ecclesiastes in there eventually. We're almost done with that book, but we'll get back to it. A lot of crazy things happening, so... Uh, it's a crazy world we're living in right now. Amen. And it's real easy, really easy to get down, you know, if you don't keep your eyes on the Lord. And even when you keep your eyes on the Lord, you're going to, you know, get wounded at times and your heart's going to break. And you need to keep your eyes on him when it gets tough. And I want to talk about, I want to go to Ephesians chapter 6. And I want to do a, just a little teaching, you know, not too short, not too long, on the armor of God. And I don't want to start it as a series because I've d- taught through this as a series, I don't know, maybe 20 years ago or so. And, but I just want to go through the armor of God in one night. And I want to get back to doing it as a series, uh, maybe when we get between, you know, done with the book of Revelation or Ecclesiastes. I don't want to start a long series like that until I get those books done because it's quite a long one if we go through each piece of armor. But wow, it is so needed, you know. So I thought, you know, instead of waiting until I get to that series and go verse by verse slowly and really understand it uh, in depth. I thought it'd be very profitable to just look at it and kind of look at the forest, the weapons in the forest, so to speak, or the weaponry, or it's mostly defensive that we're called to put on, uh, you know, even now. So Ephesians 6, chapter 6, verse 10. uh, You really should understand the armor of God in the context of the book of, of Ephesians itself. It doesn't appear in a vacuum, and when you understand uh, some of what's going on in, e- in the book of Ephesians and how the first three chapters are all about how we've been saved by God's grace, that Christ is our righteousness, uh, that we're called to put on the Lord Jesus Christ, chapter 4, and so forth. Then we get to chapter 6, a lot of it fits together. Otherwise, it's like a puzzle without the other ends. Uh, if, you, if you kind of isolate the passages, even from other books of the Bible that Paul wrote, help us understand this text, which you'll see in a little bit you get more insight into what he's talking about when he talks about different pieces of armor when you compare it to other places, not only in Ephesians, but in the scripture itself. But Jesus did warn that in the last days there'd be a lot of spiritual deception, and there certainly is right now. He warned that uh, there would be a lot of lawlessness that would increase, and we're seeing that all over right now. He warned that there would uh, be ethnic group against ethnic group, which we're seeing, sadly, tragically, more and more of. Uh, he warned about, you know, geopolitical upheaval. He warned about uh, persecution. Uh, that's in the air, you know. Some of the rioters are burning Bibles and so forth and burning churches and things of that nature. At least one church in Washington. I don't know how many churches beyond that, but I know at least that one. And I think, and I believe it's going to get a lot worse in that front down, down the road. I have no doubt in my mind. Not talking about the current riots, but I'm talking about as things ferment against the way of righteousness and the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus said, we're not supposed to be shocked when they, he said, if they hated me, they're also going to what? Hate you. Amen. John chapter 15, he was crucified, the scriptures tell us. So Jesus also said in the midst of all that there would be an apostasy. There would be a falling away. And that falling away is quite heavy because it's in the context of a few different things. It's the context of lawlessness increasing and people's love growing cold. So on one hand, you'll see people that will fall away because their hearts just get hard. They see all the sin around them and they, you know, capitulate. They acquiesce themselves to that sin and they become part of the problem. And they give in to a hardness of heart. So you've got to guard your heart. You have to watch your heart. Another reason there's a falling away at that time when you look at the context of that passage when Jesus said many will fall away is that there will be a lot of persecution. They'll hand you over to be killed. You'll be hated by all nations because of my namesake, Jesus said. And when you look at the context of the Olivet Discourse, Matthew 24, Mark 13, and Luke chapter 21, and you put them together, (coughs) you see that brother will betray brother, you know. Family members will betray each other. Uh, Those who are thinking they're doing God's service will put you to death. And I'm telling you right now, as I speak... There are people in high up religious places who get together talking about a coming civil war. And those who are in the target list are 
folks like you and me who check out and discern things to make sure they're biblical and test signs and wonders and make sure people that are calling themselves prophets and apostles are really of God. We're considered the, the, the left brain people because we discern things and we're not fit for the coming kingdom by those who are involved in the new apostolic reformation and have these new insights and are writing what's akin sometimes even almost like new scripture and they're going to move into the civil war area and join with the governments of the world or take that last mountain of government in many of their minds and uh, that last, that big civil war uh, we'll, be at the, we'll, be at the, we'll be at the end of <laughs> their guns and I'm not saying everybody that believes in the new apostolic reformation or dominionism teaches, teaches that but I've been reading a lot of their literature lately and I've been following the civil war motif for a couple decades now within uh, that movement of dominionism where the church wants to take over and I've told you before that dominionism will end up embracing the apostasy as though it's God's revival. And they'll put you to death, Jesus said, John chapter 16, just after he said a few verses earlier in chapter 15, that if they, if they hated the master, they're going to hate you, the servants. And he said they'll be putting you to death thinking that they're doing God's service. And I think it's really remarkable right now when you start to look at what's going on. And I'm, I'm talking about some heavy-duty hitters, which I'll get into more depth. We're going to do a whole series on that on our podcast. We'll, we'll, we'll have it on film, actually. Probably a four-part, five-part series or so. And I've been thinking about it. It might even be like two different phases. It might be four parts, four or five, and then four or five more. Because it's something we really ought to understand right now. Because there are a lot of things going on that are quite crazy out there that people have twisted Christianity into some kind of militant movement and made it a physical thing to where we are supposed to take the earth. And that's not what Jesus calls us to. And we need to stay with the Lord. We need to stay with the word and recognize that, hey, when you look at that falling away, yeah, it's because of hardness heart. So you've got to guard your heart. Make sure that you don't get angry because of everything that's going around and get your eyes off of Jesus and start to sink. Amen? And you have to also recognize that persecution is coming and Jesus prophesied that would ha- happen and know that that's part of what's going to happen and not fall away because of persecution. Amen? And a third reason people fall away when you look at the context of Matthew chapter 24, Mark 13, Luke 21 is spiritual deception. In fact, at least four times Jesus warns of spiritual deception in the last days. Jesus says, For false Christ and false prophets will arise showing great signs and wonders, deceiving if possible. If it's possible, if they could possibly deceive you, if possible, even the very elect of God. And in the book of Revelation, it talks about the false prophet will cause fire to come down in the presence of the beast in the sight of men and cause people, because of his false uh, demonic miracles, uh, will cause people to worship the beast. And the Bible says in Second Thessalonians chapter 2 that the Antichrist coming, the law, coming the lawless one, will be in accordance with the work of Satan with all power and signs and counterfeit miracles. So when you see signs and wonders done in the name of God, look at the doctrine that's being preached, amen? Look at the Christ that's being preached. Look at the lifestyle of the person doing these things and look at where they're pointing are they pointing to the Lord Jesus Christ? Or are they pointing to political movements? Our focus has to be on Jesus, amen? So since the scriptures say that there will be a falling away, in 1 Corinthians ten twelve it says, Let him who thinks he stands pay attention, take heed, lest he fall. What ought we to do so we don't fall? We ought to put on the full armor of God because we're called to put on the full armor of God so that we will stand in the evil day, Amen? So go to Ephesians chapter, go to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, verse 10, and this is just after Paul has given a lot of practical guidance with some very heavy theology behind it on husbands loving their wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her and children obeying their parents, you know, and, and uh, servants, uh, you know, that would apply to you if you're an employee, you know, being uh, obedient to your employers and what have you and those kinds of things and uh, how the parents are to treat the children and so forth and, and the children will, you know, obey your parents and that's the first commandment Paul says with a promise that would be long life, right? And then we get to verse 10. He says, finally be strong. Finally be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. You guys, this is key and, I, and it starts with being strong in the Lord and the power of his might because 
you have to keep in mind there are millions and millions of people who fail when it comes to living the Christian life. And I try to tell you, it's absolutely, absolutely impossible to live the Christian life in your own strength. Amen? It's impossible to live the Christian life in your own strength. So notice what Paul says here, Ephesians 6.10, finally, be strong in what? In the Lord and in what? The strength of his might, amen? In his mighty power. Be strong, it's from the Greek word dunamis. Dunamis, remember that's the word we get dynamic from and dynamite from and, and uh, strongs, and I don't usually quote strongs because it's you know pretty simplistic. I mean, it's very short little pithy definitions, but uh, I like their short little definition there. I remember ever since I was a pretty much a brand new Christian and I was using Strong's as a newer Christian, I always remembered it because Strong's had just these two words, you know, miraculous power. Because there's other words for power too that have to do with authority. And certainly, uh, you know, Jesus said, all power in heaven and earth is given to me. That word power there is authority, you know. Uh, this word speaks of his power, meaning his dunamis, his miraculous power. There's a couple different Greek words there used, and we don't have time to camp out on any one verse. That's the problem with me doing this study. I'm going to want to camp out on each verse, and I know I can't, so I want to get through all the way to verse 18, so I'm going to leave a lot of meat on each, on each verse bone, but that's okay because we're looking at more of the forest than the trees, I said today, but we want to be strong in his power, amen? In fact, uh, the gospel itself, you guys, Paul said in Romans 1.16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it's what? The power of God to salvation to everyone who believes the Jew first and also the Greek, the Greek, amen? Do you realize how powerful the gospel is? Do you realize that hundreds of millions of lives have changed because of accepting the gospel of Jesus Christ, hearing the gospel preached, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, and the word of God is living and strong and powerful, sharp to edges sword, amen? And it works effectually, it says, in the hearts of those who believe. So when you preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, Jesus' death for our sins, his burial, his resurrection, there's power there, Amen? But we also have power, the power of the Holy Spirit that's in our lives, amen? As we seek Jesus, as we, as we pant and hunger and thirst for him, and we cry out to him, and we, we pursue him, and as we wait upon the Lord, he empowers us. We can wait on him, and he gives us wings like eagles, amen? He, he lifts us up. And as you daily seek the Lord, and don't start your day in your own power. Don't start your day without a prayer, man. When you get up in the morning and say, Lord Jesus, be the strength of my life. May I live for your glory. Hallowed be your name. Amen. And pray and seek him in such a way that you're surrendered to him and you're saying your will be done in my life and you're asking him to empower you. Amen. And then all of a sudden you'll find yourself not only having wisdom as to how to live that day out for his glory, but you have the power to live that wisdom out in your life. So it's important to pray throughout the day, not just when you get up in the morning. You know, pray. The Bible says to pray without ceasing. What does it mean to pray without ceasing? means they just keep praying, amen, all day. Doesn't mean you can't eat. Doesn't mean you can't take a nap or sleep during the night. But it does mean you have an attitude of continually seeking the Lord. And you know, it's interesting, the word Hebrew word for spirit, speaking of the Holy Spirit, uh, is ruach. And that also means breath or wind. The Greek word, in the, that's in the Old Testament, the Greek word for the word spirit is, is pneuma. And that's also the word for breath or wind, amen? And it's interesting because the Holy Spirit, a picture of the Holy Spirit is the wind. Jesus says the Holy Spirit moves like the wind. You know, nobody can really predict the wind 100% accuracy, absolutely not. And uh, we're all breathing right now, amen? If someone's not breathing, nudge them, you know? Maybe they got some of that taco carne asada in their throat and they need a slap on the back, you know? No, don't do the slap on the back, do the Heimlich. Someone was just uh, a couple weeks ago, brother that's here actually was, and I didn't get that out. He was, he was, and man, I didn't, I just got up and I was like, and I just met the brother, really neat brother, Michael, he's here today. Not this Michael, another, where are you, Michael? There you are. And praise God, you're live, man. First day I met him and I say, by the grace of God, we got to save his life, you know. I didn't do the Heimlich on him. I just, I, I kind of was like, I didn't even know what was going on. I turned around, there you were, man. I thought you were like a mummy or something, you know, like this, you know, and, uh, I kind of like slapped him on the back and then I thought, I'm not supposed to do that, but he, and he goes, <laughs> and the big chunk of meat came out, right? Have you eaten my sister Kathy's food since, bro? 
<laughs> nope. <laughs> uh, she's a good cook. I'm messing around, but yeah, that was kind of a stiff piece of pork you're eating there. <laughs> Big old chunk down there, man. And I uh, praise God you're here today, bro. Uh, Lord is good, amen. So, but you know what? Uh, so breathing is not some, sometimes people do breathing exercises as though they're going to get in touch with God that way. That's not what the Bible teaches. Okay, the Bible says don't pray repetitious prayers like the pagans do. We're not supposed to pray like the pagans do. But guess what? You're supposed to pray to your Father in heaven, amen, as you seek him. But breathing air is a picture of how we stay physically alive, right? And seeking the Lord and being empowered by his spirit is a picture, a beautiful picture of being empowered by God to live the life he's called us to live. Amen? And just like you wouldn't want to hold your breath for too long because it could be very painful and harmful, when you stop praying, that's very, very detrimental to your spiritual walk. So when, it calls, when the Bible calls us to be strong in the Lord in the power of his might, it means to uh, seek him and the power of his might. And Paul prayed that we'd be filled with the fullness of his power back in Ephesians chapter 3. So it's important to pray, but it's important also to obey and put the armor of God on. And a lot of Christians, you know, we know God's given us a lot of teaching on how to live the Christian life. But sometimes we're waiting around and it's wrong. We, We sit around waiting for a supernatural experience. God's already given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. And we're to live for him right now. He's given you all kinds of resources. And sometimes you allow those resources to get in the way of serving the Lord when you should be using the resources the Lord's giving you to serve the Lord Jesus. Make your life count, you know? Well, yeah, I want to I go on the mission field or I want to be a witness or I want to make disciples or I want to, you know, shine the light. I want to preach the gospel, but I got this and, and I got the house payment. I got that. And Well, wait a minute, man. Those things aren't supposed to be getting in the way of you serving Jesus. Whatever you have, you should be utilizing to serve Jesus. Amen. How could I serve him better? How could I serve him more? How can I use what the Lord's given me to be a light in this world? Amen? So, but we need to be strong in the Lord. And we need to be strong in the power of his might. And Paul says in Ephesians 3.16, if you back up, you've got your Bibles. I know a lot of you have uh, your phones out because it works when we're in the dark out here. But in 3.16, Paul says that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory. God's got some radical riches in his glory, right? To be what? Strengthened with what? Power. That's dunamis. Through his what? Spirit in the what? Inner man. So Paul's already dealt with this concept of us being strengthened in our spirits by his Holy Spirit in our inner person. So we're called to be strong in the Lord, the power of his might. Because Jesus said, apart from me, you could do what? Nothing. But the Apostle Paul said, through him, we could do what? Everything, man. Anything that he calls you to, where he guides, he provides. We've talked about that. So it's important to appropriate his dunamis in your lives by simply surrendering to him. And when he says, go, go. He said, go ye into all the world. Amen. Preach the gospel to every nation, all ethnos. Amen. Making disciples of all ethnos. Amen. Now think about that, man. You guys, we all are called. Is that, was that command just given to Christian leaders? No, man, because he told those same Christian leaders, what I've commanded you, you command those who you teach and you disciple. So we're all called to go. But I think sometimes what happens is, well, you know what? Someday the Lord might call me on a mission. The Lord's already called you on a mission. Someday he might call me to forsake everything and just serve him. He's already called you to forsake everything and serve him. I'm not saying he means you literally have to sell everything right now because that's between you and him as far as what you do. But as far as serving him, we're all called to that. Well, a lot of people sit around and they wait a lifetime for special supernatural orders to come from heaven. And then they're finally, they're going to go. Brothers and sisters, have you ever got a prescription from a doctor? And it says, take these pills three times a day in the morning, noon, at night. And then you sit around and say, well, I'm waiting for the doctor to call before I actually do this. Man, it's been three days. I know it's supposed to start, I'm supposed to take him three days ago, man. But you know what? When the doctor calls and I really hear from him, then I'll really do it. No, man, you've already got the prescriptions from the doctor, amen? We've already got the command from the Lord to be witnesses, to go out to the Lord or the lost world and be witnesses, amen? 
I want to encourage you guys. I say this because I love you. Because we want to make our lives count for Jesus. We want to be busy. And keep in mind, going to the world, it's like, well, man, I can't, don't know if I could afford to go all the way across the world. We are already all the way across the world from when Jesus said that in Jerusalem. Amen? We're at the uttermost parts of the earth from Jerusalem, practically. So we're supposed to be witnesses wherever we are. Supposed to live the Christian life and shine the light of Jesus, you know? And the first way you preach the gospel is by your example, amen? But you also don't say, yeah, I just preach it with my lifestyle. No, you also should open your mouth, you know? And it's not always easy, but Paul himself, the apostle, the great apostle, he says that he was not known for his speech, but he prayed and he asked us to pray that God would give him boldness. And man, he is very bold because he's prayed up, amen? We need to be prayed up and seek the Lord and be strong in his power and the strength of his might. And I'm in trouble because that's a long time on one verse. So let's go to verse 11. Chapter 6, verse 11. Put on the full armor of God, that's the whole armor of God, every piece, so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. Why do you have to put on the full armor of God? So you can stand firm. So you can stand firm, man. Because guess what? Someone is trying to knock you off because you have a real enemy. The Bible says, be sober, be vigilant. If you're obviously the devil walks about like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. He's marked you, okay? There are all kinds of demonic hosts and they have not forgotten about you. They're targeting you and they want to use the things of this world, the world, the flesh, and the devil. Those, all, those forces work together to knock you off of your walk with Jesus, to get you off the narrow road onto the broad path that leads to destruction. So you have to put on the full armor of God. Praise the Lord. I mean, what was it? Last week, Michael, you, your, your son came up and gave me a coin, right? I thought it was a coin coin, right? But it was really cool because it was a little, it was a big coin actually and it had the armor of God on it, you know? There's a guy that was clad in the armor of God. He's pulling one out right now. Hold that up. That's awesome, man. And Michael was telling me that his son, how, how old is your son, Michael? Six years old. And, and Michael was saying he's really into the armor of God. He loves that subject matter. I didn't even remember that until this very moment. And I'm like, wait, Michael's up front, man. Thanks again, buddy. That was awesome. Praise God. And here we are talking about the armor of God. Amen. Now, it's interesting because it says that you may be able to stand against the schemes. The King James is the wiles of the devil. The schemes of the devil. The Greek word is methodios, and it's, that's where we get our English word method from, or methods. Satan has methods. He's smarter than all of us. He knows scripture better than all of us put together. He's even quotes scripture in the wrong way to twist things to get us to turn from Jesus. He's all about leading people into the left-hand path. That's what Satanism calls it, the left-hand path, the, the broad road that leads to destruction, where anything goes, the permissive way that leads to death. Now, it's interesting. When you look at the scripture, and we're supposed to be putting this armor on, because if you're not, in other words, you're going to succumb to the deceptions of the devil. In fact, it's interesting uh, when he says put on the full armor of God, it shows that we are soldiers. And there's a lot of methods the enemy has. I don't have time to camp out on this verse either. And I, I'm going to be tempted to camp out on each one. But i just say a little bit more about this. Is When I think of the methods that the enemy uses through scripture that are very dominant, that are highlighted, I think of that people struggle with. I think of anger. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30, it says, uh, you know, to, it talks, it warns us not to grieve the Holy Spirit of God. It's, and it goes on to say, don't be, uh, it says, do not let the sun go down on your anger, right? And that says, do not give a what? Foothold to the devil. In other words, the devil will seek a foothold in your life through anger. Because being, walking around as an angry person is the opposite of faith and trusting Jesus, Amen. And if you get angry and you live in anger, now sometimes there's a righteous anger. You've got to be very careful justifying your anger because if you have a righteous anger, it'll move you to do what's righteous about a situation in a loving way, amen? Because that's how our God is. But anger can be very volatile. It can be very dangerous. And there's different words like thumos and others that are used for anger. Some have to do with a short-fused anger, a, a long-fused anger, and so forth. And the Bible says, don't let the sun go down on your anger. In other words, make sure you don't let it be, let it grow. You deal with it. If you're in a relationship in your, with your wife or your husband, uh, don't sit there and harbor anger. 
and don't harbor a grudge. Talk about it. Deal with it. Uh, if it takes all night. I remember my wife and I, when we were newly married, you know, we went through those newly married, some of those newly married situations where, you know, we didn't, we butt heads, you know. By the grace of God, I say, I don't knock on wood, but I say by the grace of God, you know. Uh, for years and years and years, it's very rare, you know, that we have a, 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 a deal. It doesn't mean we don't ever, you know, disagree, but we do it agreeably in Christ and seek the Lord and everything works out in the end. But I remember when we were newly married, and not just when we were newly married, there were times after that, but when we were newly married, I remember there was times we were up till 2, 3 in the morning. Well, you're saying that's nothing new for you guys because <laughs> we're up till 2, 3 in the morning a lot, at least I am. Uh, 1, 2 in the morning a lot. But back, back then, we were up to 2, 3 in the morning sometimes talking, making sure we knew we were on the same page, making sure all was good, getting over an issue because it meant enough that we loved each other that we got along with each other, that we didn't go and sleep in another bed or another room and just allow division and anger to separate us. So you got to go the extra mile. And I'm not saying, you know, don't, please don't call me and say, my wife is not willing to stay up till three to talk about things. She keeps dozing off. That's not my point. My point is to do, be radical about making sure you're humble and you want to work things out. And you understand and look for the other, the other side of the issue where you can humble yourself and acknowledge that you, there, there's a place that you may be wrong or you may be wholly wrong. Don't let pride rule. Pride comes for a fall. Or the other person might be, but you need to lovingly try to speak the truth the Bible says in love. So th- the Bible warns about not giving the devil a foothold through anger, also, also through lust. The scriptures talk about how King David fell into sin when he was checking out Bathsheba, taking a bath at the river and called her to himself. I'm not going to go through the whole story. You know it. Many of you know it. But you know why he did that? Why he fell into lust? Because it says in the book of Samuel that in the springtime when kings go out to war, David sent Joab, jo- David sent others, but he stayed back. Kings go out to war. He should have been going out to the war in that spring, but he didn't. He did not put on the what? He didn't put the armor on, and he fell. Amen. Another place I see his schemes is in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11, where it talks about uh, making sure they forgive a brother who's come back to the church. He repented of horrible sin. And they said, Paul says, confirm your love to him, comfort him. And he says to forgive him, for we are not ignorant of Satan's devices. Unforgiveness is one of Satan's devices. Lust, anger, and unforgiveness are three of his biggest methods to derail you. Amen. So, you know, how can we accept the grace and mercy and love of God after all we've done to him in our own life because we are sinners and, and be angry at somebody else who hasn't done anything to us compared to what we've done to God? Or how can we hold unforgiveness toward others when we've been forgiven like 10,000 talents, which is like 10,000 lifetimes of work worth of sin, according to Jesus. It's a, it's a picture he uses, but it's a powerful picture in there in Matthew 18. When their sin against us is like 100 denarii. Nothing by way of comparison. Painful, but nothing. How much more should we be forgiving people since the Lord has forgiven us, the scriptures say. And Jesus said, pray, Father, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And then he went on to comment on that. For if you not forgive your brother, neither will your heavenly Father forgive you. But if you do forgive your brother, your Father in heaven will forgive you. So it's imperative that we understand that we are in the spiritual war and the devil has all kinds of wiles. You need to be putting the armor of God on so we can stand against those wiles and not be subject to his deceptions. Verse 12, chapter 6, verse 12. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against what? The rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness, in the heavenly places. Brothers and sisters, you know the war that you're in is not a physical war. You know? You're not fighting against, you know, f- certain politicians and, and, and certain, you know, people over here and people over there. Oh yeah, there's people that mean evil, but there's a bigger war afoot. And it's a spiritual war against principalities and powers. Spiritual forces, dark powers. The rulers of the darkness of this world. There's darkness in this world, but there's spiritual forces that are over this darkness and therefore if you are going to be victorious over them in your own life you cannot just look at the physical aspect of this darkness why because you have to fight these forces of darkness so you can stand firm in your faith 
in a spiritual way. In other words, you have to put spiritual armor on. Amen? Otherwise, you are just going to be waylaid, man. You're going to be wiped out. We are soldiers, amen? And we need to keep that in mind. In fact, it's interesting, the Apostle Paul, you know, he said, no soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life so that he may please the one who has enlisted him as a soldier. It doesn't say you can't be involved in the everyday affairs of life. That's how you live your life. But he says not to be entangled in them, amen? What does it mean to be entangled in them? It means you're tangled up where you can't serve God. Amen? And you have to make sure you're not being entangled to where you're not serving God anymore. Well, how do I know if that's happening? Well, if you're not serving God, if it's really hard for you to serve God because you're wrapped up in all kinds of hobbies and things of that and just, you know, pleasures of this life and, and you're not serving God, you need to get rid of those things, man. If they're hindering you from serving the Lord, amen? It's very, very important that we do this. And we're just talking, a lot of this is taking us through just very basic, practical discipleship. How to follow Jesus and not be encumbered by the sins of this world and entangled in them and just following him. Now it's important that we recognize that these spiritual forces are very real. Otherwise, we could get away from the great commission to win souls and start to think we're in a physical battle to win political dominion. Jesus said, if my kingdom was of this world, then would my servants fight, meaning physically. John 18, 36. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 4 and 5, that the weapons of our warfare are not, what? Physical, God bless you, but they're mighty, they're not physical, but they're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds and casting down of imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of Jesus Christ. So we're in a spiritual war and we need to make sure we are putting on the armor of God because we have a spiritual enemy that's very, very powerful. Chapter 6, verse 13. Chapter 6, verse 13. Therefore, take up the full armor of God. There it is again, you guys. Keeps emphasizing that for a reason. Don't leave any part out, guys, as we go through the armor of God. Therefore, I mean, because you're in a spiritual war, because Satan wants to destroy you, man, therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day. And having done everything to stand, and having done everything to stand firm. You want to stand firm. There's again, standing firm, doing everything, put on the whole armor of God so you can stand in the evil day. What's the evil day? It doesn't define the evil day for us. So we're left into, we're, we're left to understand and say, okay, what kind of evil days do we see that are faced by the men of God? We just talked about an evil day that King David faced, right? And he fell radically. It ruined his family because he didn't put on the armor. And at that time, we're talking about the king of Israel. We're talking about physical armor. But it's a great picture of how we're to put on the spiritual armor so we don't fall. Amen? And that means you need to protect your heart. That means men... You need to watch your hearts and make sure you don't wander off into the lust of this world, into a life of sexual perversion where you just become a monstrosity of what God created you to be. Amen? Uh, I think it's very, very important that you have an open-door policy. This is my conviction. If you're a married man, it should be a lot easier. Why? Because the Bible talks about rejoicing in the breast of your wife. Because the Bible talks about you have two, two can, one can hold the other up, Right? And if you have kids, I'll tell you what, I have like an open door policy. I might, you can open my door. I don't lock my door. Okay. You can open my door and my computer's right there to see. So I tell Josiah, my wife, you know, just come in and they do anytime. Just open up, up the door because I have nothing to hide. You sh we shouldn't have anything to hide. Amen. And you have to live with integrity. The psalmist said in Psalm 103, I will put nothing evil before my eyes. You have to make decisions in your heart to make the right decisions right now. Don't wait till you're in the middle of temptation. I always say make certain things non-negotiable. Amen? There's certain things that are not negotiable. Like, and I'd say, I use this example because people say, well, of course that's not negotiable. I say, for most of us, hopefully all of you guys, by the way, it's not negotiable as to whether you're going to wake up tomorrow and go rob a bank, right? There's a lot of money there. Why not? Because you know it's incredibly wrong. And there are serious consequences. And you could get caught. But if you don't get caught, you are caught. Because God sees it. Amen? Well, guess what? When you get involved in sexual sin, 
that's wrong too. Just as wrong. And there are very serious consequences. And guess what? You're caught the moment you engage in it. Amen? Because God sees it. So we want to make sure men and women, you know, that we are walking godly lives and that we recognize that there's an evil day that where temptation can come upon you and you might get relaxed. You might think, hey man, I've been cruising along. I haven't been struggling with sin in my life so much and I've been a victorious. I've been an overcomer, you know, and you put your guard down and you don't pray. You don't seek the Lord. You don't put on the armor of God and then before you know it, like David, you're falling. You have to continue to put on the armor of God. Remember Joseph? Remember Potiphar's wife? I mean, I don't know if he saw that coming or not, but man, she grabbed him and said, sleep with me, lay with me. And he said, you know, he didn't want to sin against God. He recognized the big picture, ultimately. He took off and she grabbed his cloak as he's taken off, ripped, you know, boom. And then he was even persecuted. And you know what could have said in there? Anger. Man, God, I did what was right. I fled that woman and now I'm in prison. How come you're not taking care of me? See how the enemy works? So you've got to just always have your head on a swivel. You have to always be sober, be vigilant. You have to always trust that he is good and know that he has a great plan no matter whether you understand it or not. Amen? And that guess what? He blessed Joseph big time in the end. Amen? And that he'll bless you in the end for being faithful. Are you with me tonight? So we need to stand in the evil day. Peter faced an evil day. Did he? Was he victorious? No, he denied the Lord three times. Amen? Why did he deny the Lord three times? Because Jesus told him to pray, and he failed to pray. Can't you pray one hour with me, Jesus said? And Jesus told him before he fell that he was going to fall, because Jesus knew he wouldn't pray, and he would deny him three times. Jesus faced an evil day, faced more than one evil day, right? Did he have victory? He always had victory. He withstood the evil one. Amen? He, was, he, he walked in the power of the strength of the Father. So it's very, very important uh, that we, and guess what? The days are getting more evil right now. Can you agree? Amen, they are. And they're going to get more evil. And there's even a tribulation period coming up. And there are those that will be victorious and there are those who will fall. Those that are victorious are those who are not confident in themselves. Paul said, I put no confidence in the flesh. That there's no good thing that dwells in me. That is my flesh, Paul said. You put your confidence in the Lord. He is the strength of your life. He is your shield. He is your buckler. He's the strong tower that we run to. And not just when we're in trouble, but every day we run to him. That way when trouble comes, we're already close to him and we're already safe. Amen? Don't wait till trial comes. He said in the world, you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. So we want to stand in the evil day. Chapter 16, verse 14. The first part of that verse says, Stand firm therefore, having girded your loins with truth girded your loins he's talking about putting your belt on the Roman soldiers had this thick really thick leather belt you know and it was kind of interesting because you know what that belt did a lot of things it held a lot of things together it held a scabbard for the dagger okay it held it had hooks for certain weapons it had a quiver that held lances all on that belt it had an apparatus that that stuck out so you could put your shield on it when you were when the arrows were coming, you know, it also had clips uh, that clipped it that clipped the breastplate to it to keep the breastplate uh, in the proper place. So that belt was very important because it held everything else together. I think that's powerful because he says, "Put on the belt of what truth." If you don't, if you're not in the Lord's truth, man, you're going to fall apart. The Bible said, uh, "There's an old saying: a Bible that's fallen apart usually belongs to a person that has not fallen apart." Amen. And if your life is falling apart, your Bible probably hasn't been touched in a while. You know? Because you know what? If you don't hold to the truth, you'll fall for anything, man. And when you give up the truth of God's word, you'll just believe any strange thing out there. And there's millions of strange beliefs out there. So it's important that we hold to the truth, the belt of truth. Jesus said, thy word is truth. The Bible says, Jesus said, sanctify them by thy truth. The Bible is called the word of truth. The Bible says that we're to meditate on God's truth day and night. To be strong in him and the power of his might. Guys, the scriptures tell us we need to rely on his truth. And Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Amen. Praise God we have truth in this world that's filled with just illusions and, and lies. Amen. 
And Satan is the father of lies. That's why you need the belt of truth, amen? And it's people, if you don't have the belt of truth on, you'll give in to all these false signs and wonders and these deceptions and all these isms that are around. It's important that we know the Lord and that we are abiding in his truth. Chapter 6, verse 14, the last part of that verse. And have you put on what? The breastplate of, amen, the breastplate of righteousness. We have to put on the breastplate of righteousness. And now keep in mind, this has to do with putting on in the scriptures in Ephesians, it talks about putting on the Lord Jesus Christ in Romans 13, Colossians chapter 3, Ephesians chapter 4, a couple chapters before this, putting on the new man, be made after the image of Christ. And we're putting on the breastplate of righteousness. This is to guard our hearts. The Romans would have this huge breastplate that would cover a lot of their shoulders and their, their, their clavicles and their chest and their vital organs, you know? And we're supposed to cover our heart and our vital organs spiritually, so, so to speak, with the righteousness of God. Remember, it talks about putting on the righteousness of God as a garment. Not that I would be clothed in my own righteousness, Paul says, or be found in my own righteousness, but in the righteousness that comes through faith in Christ. And I believe we can speak of either the positional righteousness of the Lord here. What's he talking about when he says, put on the breastplate of righteousness? Or the practical righteousness Positional righteousness is how we've been declared righteous through faith in Christ, amen? And that we're robed in his righteousness through faith in him. Practical righteousness is the outworking of his righteousness in our lives on a day-to-day basis and living a righteous life. I believe first and foremost here, he's speaking of the, the robe of righteousness, the positional righteousness. Why? Because in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, Paul talks about the breastplate again. And he calls it the breastplate of faith. So I believe the breastplate is connected to faith in the Lord. And I believe in Ephesians, when you're talking about being saved by grace through what? Faith, amen. That our righteousness comes through faith, amen, in the Lord Jesus Christ. So the scriptures tell us that he is our righteousness. 1 Corinthians 1.30 says, But by uh, his, meaning the Father's, doing, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us the wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. That's all Jesus in our life. He is our righteousness, amen? Second Corinthians 5.21 says he made him, that is Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God in him, amen? And when you look at the spiritual warfare and how we overcome the, the evil one in Revelation chapter 12, verse 11, what's the very first thing on the list? And they overcame him, that is the devil. They overcame him by the blood of the lamb, amen? His righteousness, and by the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives even unto death. So our own practical righteousness, not living our lives, loving our lives unto death, is an outworking of trusting his righteousness, which protects us and protects our hearts from the condemnation and the, of the devil and the wrath of God because we're under the righteousness of Christ and we've been forgiven. Amen? Amen. So much there. And I want to stay there, but I can't. Verse 15. And have you shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace? Having prepared your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Your feet, what you stand on, your shoes, your sandals, whatever you're on today, physically speaking, is a foundation that allows you to walk in this world, amen? The foundation that you and I need to walk over the powers of darkness, to walk victoriously so that we stand is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Come on, somebody shout it out, man. Where's the gospel found where it's actually defined? 1 Corinthians what chapter? 15. Ooh, a lot of you said it. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Paul said, declaring you the gospel by which we are being saved, right? He says that Jesus died for our sins according to the scriptures. That he was buried and that he rose again from the dead according to the scriptures. The gospel is Christ's death for our sins, his burial and his resurrection, amen? That's the gospel that we preach. Amen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes him should not perish but have everlasting life. This is our foundation. We stand on the gospel. We stand on the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. And the apostles and prophets are the foundation of the church. Jesus himself being the head cornerstone. Amen. And they preach the gospel. Jesus, his death, burial, and resurrection is the gospel. And the apostles and prophets preach the gospel. And we stand on the foundation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when you stand on the gospel of Jesus Christ, you're, you have security. Amen. 
You can't be knocked off because you're able to stand firm. If you're not in the gospel, and you're not trusting what Christ did for you and put your trust in him, you aren't sinking sand, man. You're, you're easy for the enemy to pick off. Josephus described the, the Roman soldiers' shoes, their, their, their shoes that they wore. He said they were thickly studded, thickly studded with sharp nails. So think of really nasty cleats that would be illegal in Major League Baseball, right? Thickly studded with sharp nails. Uh, they had this a good grip, and they ensured military success. Uh, Alexander the Great and Julius Caesar uh, had their success in their armies because of one of the great reasons it's believed is because their soldiers had these really radical shoes, man, with these thick studded nails coming out of them. And they were able to take long marches with incredible speed through really, really rough terrain. Amen. And by the way, I love that, man, because that's a great picture. When we stand on the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, amen, and our life is about the gospel, our life is about the great commission, amen, about shining the light of Christ, being salt and light in this world. We're able to impact people in the world and impact the people from the different nations and bring them to Christ and see hearts change. But at the same time, we're able to go through the rough terrain that the world faces like and building our lives on the rock of Jesus Christ and his gospel, amen. And when we face the storms of life, we're able to stand, amen, because our lives are built on the gospel. That's huge, amen. Now, verse 16 Verse 16, in addition to all taking up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Wow, man. Taking up the shield of faith, it's through trusting the Lord, trusting his promises, trusting his word, trusting what he says, following his direction, applying his words and faith to your life that you're able to extinguish the fiery darts of the evil one. And how does that work? That means when the enemy sends fiery darts into your life, into your head, into your heart, guess what, man? You have this shield that extinguishes them. Why? Because that shield, because you're trusting the Lord, and what the enemy says does not affect you, because guess what? You're not believing his lies. You're putting faith in the Lord and his truth. Amen? Are you with me? It's very, very powerful, man. It's so powerful. So what you do, you stay in the word. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Amen? So the more you're in God's word, the greater your faith grows. Amen? And the greater your faith grows in his word, the more the enemy throws his darts at you, the more they bounce off. They don't, you know, fiery darts are gnarly, you know? You've seen the movies, you know, where the, the, the arrows are lit on fire. They cause incredible damage. And that's what Satan's lies do. They get into a, a home. They can spread through that home and destroy the faith of many, many people. Entire communities of believers can be infected by the fiery darts of the evil and the false doctrine entering into their churches. So it's imperative that we uh, are build our faith in His Word, His truth, and we know His Word. Amen. It's absolutely imperative. It's interesting because I loved how they would lock their shields together. You know, and uh, and it's really interesting because the, the Roman legionnaires, when they would get together, they would literally put their shields in front of them, lock them together. They'd have others that would put their shields up and they put them edge to edge to where, guess what, man? If you're facing a barrage, a hail, you've seen the movies, you know, where it just is, it just looks like, you know, a bunch of bats out of a cave, all these different arrows falling. But you'd have these shields up in such a way to where there'd be very few casualties because they were arrayed in such a way that the shields blocked them. But if you were a soldier all by yourself, hanging out by yourself, and under a hill, it wasn't going was to work. You're dead, man. And that's why we serve him in the faith in a community of believers. Amen? We get together and we lock shields together. Amen? Amen. And the scriptures call us not to forsake the assembly of ourselves together, but to gather together all the more as we see the day of Christ getting closer. Amen? So we lock shields. We get together, man, and we talk about the Lord together. We grow in our faith together. Amen? We get excited about him and we, we love him more. And the fiery darts that we thought were so fiery, they, they begin to get more and more extinguished because we're locking shields together. So it's important 
to lock shields with other brothers and sisters, whether it's in our community of believers and we have 60, 70 people or whatever at a Bible study, or whether it's a Sunday corporate worship, or whether it's you're getting together with a brother or sister to just pray, break bread together, talk about the Lord together, have a Bible study together, or whether you get together with a discipleship with a small group of people. We have a bunch of little discipleship groups going through our fellowship right now, which is just so beautiful. We should all be getting together and growing in the Word together. Amen? And we need to keep it, we need to keep it up. Amen? So it's interesting. We see in uh, verse 17, and take the helmet of salvation, and take the helmet of salvation. What is the helmet of salvation? We know what it is. We know what it is. We know that our salvation is in Christ. So it's talking about taking Christ, who is our salvation, as our helmet. But there's a little more to it. Go to, turn to your right a few books. Go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Talking about the end times is the context. I think it's important to understand the context. In verses of chapter 13 through 8, verses 13 through 18 of chapter 4, it talks about the rapture, how the dead in Christ will rise first, and then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together to meet them uh, together in the, meet them in the air. And then in chapter 5, verse 1, it says, Now that's the times and epochs, brethren. Times of what? The times of the rapture. That's what he's talking about. You have no need of anything to be written to you. For you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. While they are saying peace and safety, then sudden destruction will come upon them like labor pains upon a woman with child, and they shall not, or they will not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness that that day would overtake you like a thief. Did you know the day of the Lord, when Christ comes to rapture us, it's not supposed to overtake us like a thief? You have movies like Thief in the Night, and it's like the rapture is a secret, and all of a sudden, whoa, what happened? He came like a thief. No. It comes like a thief on the unsuspecting world that's not looking for him, amen? But right here it says very clearly, but you, brethren, not in darkness that that day would overtake you like a thief. No, it's not going to overtake us like a thief because we're what? We're lifted up our eyes. We're looking for him, amen? And it won't be, I can't believe he came. No, it'll be like, whew, praise God, I've been waiting for you. Amen? Verse 5, verse 5, for you are all sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of night nor of darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do. Remember the virgins that fell asleep but in Jesus' parable? But let us be alert and sober. For those who sleep do their sleeping at night. And those who get drunk, get drunk at night. Praise the Lord. I'm glad to see you guys this evening. Not getting drunk, but getting filled with the Lord and His Word. Verse 8. Verse 8. But since we are of the day, let us be sober. Having put on the breastplate of faith and love. And as a helmet, the what? The hope of salvation. Amen? Because guess what? Look at verse 9. For God has not destined or appointed us for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. So you know what the helmet of salvation is? It's looking forward, the context here, to the Lord's return. Thy kingdom come. Amen? Thy will be done. S- looking at the world through the glasses of hope. The helmet of the hope of salvation. So the world looks at what's going on and when the judgments start to take place and the seven seals begin to be opened and the seven trumpets start to blow and the seven vials or bowls begin to get poured out, the world's going to be freaking out. And when Jesus Christ comes back, it's going to be like a thief, man, in the night. And it says the, the, the tribes of the earth will mourn, you know. They're going to be like freak out. And it says the hearts of the, the wicked, it says they will fail them for fear of the things coming on the earth. They don't have the hope, they don't have a helmet, do they? They don't have a helmet that's going to protect them from the wrath of God. We have the helmet, the hope of salvation. Amen? We're trusting Jesus and we're spared from the wrath to come at his coming. Amen? And from any wrath that falls through the seals, the trumpets, the bowls. Even now we're not appointed to wrath because we're, we have the glory of Jesus. So guess what? You look at the things that are going on in the world and you don't know Jesus, you're going to be freaking out right now. Amen? But guess what? If you know Jesus and you're saved and you're feet are planted in the gospel amen and those nails so to speak are rooted amen in christ's love and you're you're bound together with who he is and what he's done for you amen you got that shield of faith and the belt of truth and the 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 breastplate of righteousness amen you got all these things that all these things going for you guess what you have the helmet of salvation you're looking at what's going on and you're looking at the prophecies you're saying guess what jesus is coming back jesus is coming back he's my hope amen He's my salvation. I can keep my head. I can keep a cool head through this and what I'm going through right now because I see the big picture. I know how it all ends and I know that if I have my trust in him when he comes back, I'm going to be caught up to meet him in the air. Amen. I'm going to reign with him. Amen. 
Or if I die before he comes back to be absent from the bodies, be present with the Lord, I'm in a good place no matter what I have happens to me. Annihilation, annihilation is glorification. Amen. If I get, if he comes back, I, I'm transformed in a twinkling of an eye. Amen. And I receive an incorruptible, imperishable, immortal body, the scripture says. That's how God intended us. He didn't intend death to come into the world. That's an eight, death is called an enemy because of sin. But Christ died to save us from the penalty of sin and death. And now we are able to wear the heaven of salvation, which is simply trusting Jesus and what he's done, and not only what he's done for you, but the fact that he's going to return and keep that promise too and make everything right. Amen? Amen. In fact, it goes on to say in Luke, and I love it, you guys. I love this because in Luke, when he mentions people's hearts failing them because they have the different glasses on, guys. They don't have the gospel glasses on. They don't have the helmet of salvation on. They have no hope. But we say, he says, take the helmet, which is the hope of what? Hope of salvation. It's about our future salvation in Christ. We're already saved, but we're looking for our final salvation, the glorification of our bodies when he returns. If you have the gospel glasses on, you have your helmet of salvation on. Look what it says in Luke. Look what Jesus said. But when these things begin to take place, straighten up and lift up your heads because your redemption or your salvation is drawing near. Then he told them a parable. Behold, the fig tree and all the trees, as soon as they put forth leaves, you see it and you know for yourselves that summer is now is near. So also, when you see these things happening, recognize the kingdom of God is near. So we see these things going down that are going down. Say, okay, we're getting that much closer. I don't need to lose my head. I need to be thankful that he's coming back and he has a plan and salvation, my salvation is nearer to me than when I first believed. Amen? Amen. So it's, it's really, really beautiful when you look at the armor of God and how it, how, how it should be affecting our entire lives. Amen? So make sure you put on your helmet, man, which is really like spiritual glasses. And things are getting really, really, really bad out there, guys. But guess what? There's things we could do. These are mostly all defensive weapons we're talking about. But he also says, take what? The last part of that verse. The sword of the Spirit, which is what? Which is the Word of God. And I know I only have a minute or two, so I want to try to finish this and, 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 and get done. But take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Can you think of a time where the enemy attacked somebody and they used the sword of the Spirit over and over again and got victory? How about Jesus in Luke chapter 4, Matthew chapter 4? How about three different times Satan tried to deceive him after he'd been fasting for 40 days in the wilderness? And each time, what did Jesus say? His first few words were what? It is what? It is written. Amen. He kept quoting scripture after scripture after scripture. Amen. You know, turn these stones to bread. Jesus says, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. He whipped the sword out. Amen. Bow down and worship me. I'll give you the kingdoms of this world. He whips the sword out, right? What do you say? It is written, you shall worship the Lord God and serve him only. Amen. Satan even tries to use scripture. Hey, jump off the pinnacle of the temple right here, man. And the, he said he'll give his angels charge you so you don't dash your foot against the stone. <sharp inhale> Jesus whips out the sword, remember? He says, written, you shall, shall not tempt the Lord thy God. Amen? And guess what? To whip out, guess what that means? And I'm not saying he took it out three times, but he pretty much had it out the whole time. <sharp inhale> you know? And guess what? You can't use the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, if you don't know the Word of God. Amen? The Bible says the Scripture, the Holy Spirit will bring things to remembrance. You can't have something brought to remembrance if you've never learned it, amen? So we need to be in the Word. We need to be students of the Word so the enemy comes our way. And we can't just know the Word. We have to be doers of the Word. We need to whip it out when temptation comes our way. In fact, I'm encouraging you right now. If you find yourself tempted in certain areas, you're like, man, I get convicted in this area. I got to grow in this area. And guess what? That's all of us. What do you do? Get, memorize certain Scriptures that have to do with that area. Then when the enemy tries to tempt you, amen? Whatever issue it is. Unforgiveness. Memorize scripture about how Jesus says, if you don't forgive, you won't be forgiven. Amen. I mean, it's very simple. You know, I memorize scripture. I try to memorize it all the time. I went for a bike ride yesterday morning. And you know, I didn't have that much time because I had a lot going on. I was like, man, I've got to try to get out. I got to get out. I get on my bike, you know, my mountain bike. And you know what? I just, but guess what? I got a scripture. And you know what? It makes my ride 10 times easier. Because I'm just re- trying to memorize a scripture and I'll go <gasps> here and there. But I'm like, when I'm tired of, re- when I recognize I'm getting tired, I just go back to that scripture. And then guess what? I only get physical exercise. More importantly, I get my spiritual exercise. Amen. And then my spiritual man is being built up, not just my physical man. 
And my outer man's decaying. I'm getting older and older. But guess what? My inner man is being renewed day by day. Same with yours. Study the scripture. Meditate on the scripture. Read the scripture. Be a disciple. Meditate on it day and night. Amen? Last verse we'll look at. Verse 18 of chapter 6. With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit. And with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. Many won't put this as part of the armor of God, but I'd love to end with this because guess what? There are, there are offensive weapons, amen? Most of these are defensive weapons. People say all the armor is defensive. I'm not so sure, you know, because you don't just use a sword to defend yourself. But I'll tell you what, I love prayer, man, because the effectual prayer of a righteous man avails much, amen? And guess what? You can actually pray for people across the planet and ask God to work in their lives and see people get saved through your prayers and the gospel being brought their way, amen? You can have people in bondage, friends, family, relatives, loved ones at work, neighbors, whatever, that are going through certain things and you can say, Lord, please help them. Give them strength. Break the bondages. Break the chains. And the Lord can break them, amen? So let's be people of prayer. Let's pray without ceasing, amen? And let's put on the full armor of God so we can stand on the evil day, amen? Praise God. Can we all rise, please? The Lord is good, amen.